Folk, noise, electronics, improvisation. How can radical music help us manifest new possibilities for thinking and imagine new ways of organising community through ritual behaviours, actions and languages? You're listening to the Liquid Architecture Podcast. On Friday the 10th of June, Rama Pawata and Female Wizard will play live at the TOF alongside Raja Kirik and special guests for Liquid Architecture's Ritual Community Music Series. Today, Rama Pawata and Female Wizard join us ahead of their performances. Rama Pawata is a Nam Melbourne-based musician, composer and curator who has a distinguished reputation for his audacious and technical oral explorations into sound, texture and rhythm on the drum kit. Today on the podcast, he dissects the merging of genres that occur through his music, explains how Balinese gamelan influenced his sense of rhythm, and expands on his creative processes. My name is Rama Pawada and I'm a musician based in Nam, Melbourne, primarily active on the drum kit. I kind of play experimental music and metal, jazz, and um, also play a bit of traditional Balinese gamelan music as well, and kind of anything that kind of goes in between all those worlds. For a bit of background for me, like I went and studied jazz strumming, so whenever I'm drumming no matter like for example if I'm playing drums in Whitehorse which is like a doom metal project I like to bring out some of that jazzy drumming in that style which isn't really a common thing you know it's not often you hear Tony Williams licks in you know a slow sludge doom song (laughs) and yeah so like a lot of that kind of comes out through there or even when I'm playing jazz for example like last year I made a record with Andrea Keller the jazz pianist and in that project, I was really kind of doing doom kind of drumming within jazz. So it's kind of like his vice versa kind of intersectionality between all these weird worlds. Whenever I'm doing any music that I do, whether it be metal or jazz or whatever, I always try to go, let's just try and do weird things. Let's try to put these weird jazz chords in this black metal thing. Let's try and put blast beats in this jazz thing or... I did the project with my friends Karina and Mike called Rinawat and we released a record last year and that whole record was about combining metal and gamelan together. So that was like another thing of me getting more more of the traditional Indonesian gamelan music and mixing it with more of the metal stuff to make this totally unique, weird thing that hasn't really been done before. First exposure to music ever was actually gamelan through my dad, who's Balinese. And my earliest memories, my dad would just play gamelan CDs around the house, like full blast. I remember hearing the rhythms from there and being able to recite them. And everyone would be like, oh, look at this little kid. He's, you know, he can, he can play these rhythms back, you know. Yeah. And so like 
hearing that from such a fundamental young age, you know, of course, when you're at that age, you're a, you're a sponge and you just absorb absolutely everything. So just hearing that, like, gave me a really strong impression of rhythm and, I guess, a basic understanding of interlocking patterns. And me and my brother, when we got a bit older, we got involved in the um, local Melbourne Balinese community group called Mahindra Bali, and we would go and practice there every Saturday afternoon at, at, at the Indonesian consulate and learn just basic things. It was all oral. There was no notation or, or written um, material. So it was just a matter of just people playing it and then you just have to just learn it. So it's a really interesting way of ensemble playing because when we play in bands here, you can kind of muck around with your part a bit. You can kind of embellish things, but in like gamelan music, you can't do that. Like you have your part and you have to play it exactly. Because if you muck around with your part, you start interfering with what the person next to you is doing. So like that taught me how to be strict with how interlocking parts work and not being distracted by the per- what the person next to you is doing, but also learning how to play as a unit from learning all those rhythms and stuff. Like I think that would naturally that would come through in my drumming as well. When I show non-Indonesian people gamelan, specifically Balinese gamelan music, a lot of them are just like, oh, what's going on? Like, they, they can't figure it out. But I think for me and my brother, because from literally from birth, we were surrounded by it. It's like, we can hear the forms and we can hear more of the theoretical kind of aspects of it. The forms of the gongs and the percussive cues coming from the hand drums. people when they hear Balinese gamelan music like I've heard people say oh it sounds like grindcore or it sounds like you know this crazy aphex twin just because of how fiery and relentless the rhythms are it's like you know it just sounds like blast beats so you know it, it makes sense that that music would inform the other music I, I love metal music but I find that a lot of metal music can kind of just reach this plateau because people get into this world of like okay it's metal okay we have to only reference metal for me it makes sense that extreme forms of music should inform other extreme forms of music for example in whitehorse on our last record we had one track which had a saxophonist friend of ours from the states do like a free jazz sax solo over it and i overdubbed a free jazz drum solo over that and then i did like this kind of Sean Baxter-esque junk percussion. And you listen to the track and it's so heavy and chaotic and brutal. It makes sense that we're post-World War II classical music and, and free jazz is informing doom metal. It just makes sense that metal should be informed by free jazz to kind of push into this new territory. I'm 
hard for me to observe that while I'm playing because when I'm playing no matter what genre I'm playing I'm, I'm, I'm in the zone and I'm not even thinking about physicality it's more just intuition and being in the zone going blah you know doing it but based off observations that people have made of me because like I've had that jazz training that taught me how to play drums in a certain way which does come off in my metal drumming I guess jazz drumming taught me really to be really relaxed and play with the drums and not overexert. Like it just taught me really, really good technique about my body. And a friend of mine once said, oh, Rama, you look like you're drumming. You're hitting the heart, drums not as hard as everyone else, but you're just as loud, if not louder than the other drummers. Because like, you know, I, I've learned the physical techniques of like using your wrists to get more power and sound out of less movement. I'm going to be performing my solo debut record called Tekanan, which was released last year through Important Records in, in the United States. I didn't even have any intention to make an album, to be honest. I was like, I've got these tracks. I'm just going to just do something with them. And then it was my first time ever releasing solo music. So it was quite nerve-wracking. It felt quite vulnerable and almost naked. The way I constructed the record, initially I, I made some drum improvisations. I kind of made these, these bodies of work based off these improvisations till the album was made. What I like to do is I like to just create a catalogue of sounds and that, that might be through recording like improvisations on the drum kit, recording improvisations on you know, no input mixing boards, or just even going into Ableton and just going, oh, let's try mucking around with this. Let's try experimenting with this. Let's try, and just recording everything. And eventually I find ways to put it together and, and I make pieces. And from totally unrelated sessions and then going, oh, cool, this works really well with this. It's quite aleatoric and stochastic in a way, but you find a lot of happy accidents. So it kind of just came together really naturally. And it was actually a really nice process because I could just muck around with things and not have to like justify anything. So I've made a version of it to perform live where I got rid of all the drums and I'm just drumming over the record and then I've got like a non-point mixing board to kind of get more additional sounds to work with. Those backing tracks are kind of like maps in a way for like a structured long form half hour improvisation. First section it's kind of like quite jazzy freeform scattered rhythms kind of playing you know drum beats that are quite jilted but not in time whatsoever. But then it goes into like ambient territory and it goes into like really scattered 
you know, spaced out short rhythms and then and it goes into like a fully quantized thing with a click. So it kind of goes to different areas and then in between there I've got my no input mixing board to kind of mess around with. Female Wizard's reach is far and wide, working across choreography, dance, DJing, event management, and her unique take on electronic music. Exploring the weirder sides of techno, industrial, and IDM, Female Wizard creates a new collective transcendence through powerful sonic immersion. Here, we hear about her shift from dance to DJing and the freedom of expression that allowed, the influence and array of genres that are channeled into her sets, and the feeling she aims to encapsulate in the club. My name is Alexander Powers. I DJ and produce music under the name Female Wizard. I run a label and a party called Power Trip. I also choreograph experimental dance performance. My practice of contemporary dance as a dancer and as a choreographer, I'm not sure how much that directly influences my music besides like it providing like a training for what it means to be experimental and to engage with lineages of art and artists. Specifically, I was very interested in the postmodernist movement in the 70s, 60s, 70s in New York, and the breakthroughs that came out of that. It's, it really arrested my attention for a long time. Basically, I kind of dropped dancing for maybe five years. Like, life was just, like, too fucking hard, and it was just something I wasn't able to do. But one thing I was able to do was go clubbing. <laughs> and so, like, the club space was, like, the space that made me feel really happy and seen and powerful and excited and all these things. So I naturally, being the type of person that I am, you know, saw the DJ at the, the head of the club and their, their command on the space and their, the way that they can... Um, transform people's energies. Instantly, I was like, obviously, I want to do that. kind of like no matter how messy and fucked up my life got, I could still kind of maintain my DJ career. So uh, when I first came into it, you know, I was really poor. I was young. 
I was like struggling a lot with a lot of mental health and other issues. And eventually over the years, I worked my way up to being a little bit more stable, being able to think a little bit more straightly and being able to like apply myself to, you know, study and learning and achieving my goals and things like that. So, and also when I first started DJing, I was playing house music, garage house from the nineties mainly. And I think that I had a harbored an emotional block towards expressing my creativity within music freely that I developed at some point when I was a teenager. So it took quite a few years to kind of work through that and feel confident enough to be like, actually, this is something that I can do. It's kind of been this like burning desire that I kept really like secret as a teen in some way, which was to be a musician because I ended up studying ballet almost full time during high school. So that did kind of give me a lot of time to express myself in more genuine ways. I used to be called Brooke Powers and that was kind of more encapsulated the house sound that I was doing. And then in, I think it was 2018, I changed my DJ name and kind of my whole entire approach and like branding, for want of a better word, to Female Wizard, which was embracing experimental and unexpected shifts of energy and mixing genres, mixing of dynamics, creating a a new somatic awareness for the dancer, whether they understand that or not in the moment. And then the music came, my own music came after that. So if I was ever going to create music, it was always going to be on the more experimental side, but I needed to kind of bring my... DJ practice that already existed into that zone, start connecting with that music, start playing with that music, and then that kind of informed my own music. People knew Brooke Powers for a specific thing. Yes, it was a rebranding for DJing. It was also a shift of my own relationship to myself. So Brooke used to actually be my name. You know, I had that name. I lived with that name for maybe six years or something. And this was a point where I was kind of wanting to say goodbye to a lot of the views I had about myself and about the world that I crafted when I was in my very early 20s. And I wanted to kind of turn away from those views that were very like encapsulated in a very static identity politics and jealousies and trauma and comparisons and needing to live up to an ideal of what a trans girl looks like, what a trans girl sounds like, how a trans girl behaves. I was really buckling under the pressure of what it meant to be a girl when my expression of myself sometimes doesn't feel very girly. It's not as though the people around me were necessarily trying to police my own enactment of my chosen gender identity It's that I had been advocating 
for my rights and my visibility and the rights of trans feminine people since I came out, since I started my career. And I think that that had a good effect in the city and in the scene, but it became very limiting. And so transferring to Female Wizard, changing my name to Alexander, allowing myself to dress and kind of speak and act just however I feel, kind of feel like in the moment, this was kind of like, okay, I really need to just be truthful to myself. And what is really, really, really truthful to myself? When you start to engage in that, life and stuff opens up in really interesting ways. my DJ sets, my main goal is to surprise the dancer and cause them to kind of reconfigure the way that they are relating to their own body and to the bodies around them. Power Trip is kind of looking at that on a, on a, on a larger scale where it's not just localised to a DJ set, it's kind of about how can an entire night bring that. So I try to bring in elements that are surprising and kind of shift what we expect to get out of a club night. So generally I just use my connection to the contemporary dance scene to bring in interesting dancers and choreographers to perform kind of within the middle of a night in between DJ sets. And often this is like on the dance floor or at some weird part of the space. Often it's without music or it's a contemporary dance that feels quite destabilizing. And then that ends and the next DJ plays, you know, and it works. The power trip parties that have felt really good have that feeling of where you go to a really, really great experimental night and it kind of, it doesn't matter what music is playing, whether it's ambient noise or something with a beat, you kind of have people milling about the dance floor, dancing anyway, because there's something raw and palpable in the space. It's just kind of like drawing people's attention to kind of like float within the energy. And it has that real floating feeling where you're kind of like you're half within the music, you're half kind of on your feet with the people around you. That is what I'm trying to get to, like that experience. Yes, it's going to be DJ said. I recently wrote some tracks for a new Singaporean label called Endless Return for a compilation for them. So there's a track that I wrote that's at 100 BPM. I haven't had a chance to play it yet. So that's going to be the basis for which I'm going to grow my set. One of the textures that I sometimes try to do when I DJ is called, I call it soupy. So it's kind of where there is a beat, but it's, it's maybe a little bit indistinct or it comes in and out or it's just not as obvious the elements feel kind of floating around each other and then the mixing should kind of go for like two to three minutes and 
really, really blend. Like things should really, really blend. So it has this kind of like underwater, like constancy quality of being kind of, yeah, pushed, pushed and pulled by the tides, but like deep on the seabed. When looking for music to DJ, basically what I'm looking for, it doesn't really matter what genre. I'm looking for some sort of edge. I don't really know what that edge is, but I know it when I hear it. And I'm going through music, I'm going through Bandcamp or whatever, listening to tracks and I'm just like, okay, does this have something, an edge to it? Does it have an interesting quality to it that I want to harness or that I think could provide an interesting shift of energy in, in the DJ set? And then for making music, it's kind of hard to talk about because I don't use my active thinking too much. Generally, I sit in front of Ableton or my synths, both, and I just act on what I think the next thing I should do is. And as I've been asked about this, I have started to reflect and kind of look at what I do. Yes, there is a process there. There is some sort of process. There are a lot of kind of ideas and things that I want to work towards, qualities that I want to use, you know, polyrhythms and things like this, but I don't, I'm not actually sitting there going, oh, okay, let's make some polyrhythms and blah, blah, blah. I'm just kind of like, let's add some percussion and it just naturally goes into like an asymmetrical beat because that's just like naturally what I want to do. Ramapawata and Female Wizard will be playing at the TOF on Wurundjeri Woiwurrung Country on Friday the 10th of June, alongside Raja Kirik for Liquid Architecture's Ritual Community Music Series. You can find tickets at the link in our show notes. This podcast was produced by Mara Schretweger for Liquid Architecture on the land of the Gadigal of the Eora Nation. We acknowledge them as the traditional owners of this land and recognise that sovereignty has never been ceded. We pay our respects to their elders past and present. Liquid Architecture is an Australian organisation for artists working with sound and listening. You can support our podcast and online journal Disclaimer through a Patreon subscription for as little as $5 a month. Find the link in our show notes. (laughs) 